Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. By podcast. I'm your host, Armin Grigic, and today with me is Sanna Menning. She is a data scientist at Albert Heijn. Welcome, Sanna. Hi, thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, what I would like to do is start off with a little bit about your background and mm-hmm. also how you got to work at, uh, at Albert Heijn. Okay. Well, my background is a bit different from what usually is expected from data scientists. Um, I have a background in neuroscience. I studied human movement sciences and then neurosciences. Okay. I have a PhD in neuroscience. Um, I specialized in brain MRI. Great. Um, and then I was a bit disappointed in the academic world. Um, and I wanted to move a bit faster, see more results. So that's why I changed into data. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my research was data. So <clears throat> analyzing MRI is a lot of statistics and a lot of coding. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I, I liked best. Mm-hmm. So then um, I changed to industry and uh, did a lot of analytics projects at, at different companies um, in outdoor lighting, oh. smart lighting. <laughs> okay. That's where I started off. Um, then I went into consulting, uh, and I worked at a lot of different companies, um, concrete floors, a bank. Um, <laughs> I ended at, yeah, I ended at um, a company that grows flowers. Um, and now I'm working at Albert Heijn, or Aaltel has, but the Albert Heijn talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the yeah, supermarket data, a lot of customer data, uh, financial data. Um, yeah. So what spoke to you about neuroscience in particular? Because that's, that's interesting to me because you don't hear a lot of people going into that field. But. Yeah. Um, well, I started at human movement sciences and mm. that was because I was a rower um, at the national level and I really loved uh, all the physical stuff and like the more scientific stuff in, um, in sports. Um, so I, I started um, studying human movement sciences and there we had this very popular professor um, and he was a neuropsychologist. We had a lot of neuroscience or neuroanatomy. Um, and I liked that more than the sports. I, I also thought there would be more future in that than the sports part of human movement sciences. Mm. Um, so that's why I changed into neuroscience. And then I liked MRI best because it's more quantitative. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I liked the technology i studied um brain stimulation because i I liked all the techie stuff Mm. that's interesting because um a lot of people don't even know that for example of course people know what an mri is right Mm -hmm. Uh, they know that it's a scan and stuff like that but they don't know that there's a lot of data surrounding that right because usually what they'll do is they will see that kind of picture that you know from the mris and don't think a lot about it in a in a different sense yeah Uh, so what what uh, from my just from my curiosity mm-hmm. what 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 kind of what kind of data comes out of that right so what what can you even do with that data that comes out of that there's a lot of different data it's all um it's mostly frequencies that you have to analyze into something that makes sense mm-hmm. so all these television shows where you see like brain activity in real time that's really hard because analyzing brain activity it, it takes a lot of time it's 4d data um 3d data in the brain so there are a lot of 3d pixels and you have to analyze um all these frequency signals um apply statistical models 
Um, the funny thing is when I was uh, studying human movement sciences, we had to do Fourier transforms in Excel. Um, <laughs> okay. I later learned that it's just a function in MATLAB, but we had to do it in Excel. So that, that was very complex. And during that course, I was only like wondering why we should learn this. And then mm. when I went into MRI, I finally, you know, saw the usage of it because it's all, all frequency data. Mm. Um, and, we, and in MRI, all you do is Fourier transforms to, to make sense of the signals. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of data in there, and there's also a lot of discussion still about the statistics. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that that is very interesting. Yeah, and it, I think it's hard to quantify these kinds of things surrounding, for example, your brain, <laughs> because uh, I mean we know so little about what yeah. actually happens in the brain. Yeah, we're we're all like, okay, this when you do this, for example, we ha I had a podcast with someone that was doing kind of neuromarketing as well, mm -hmm. uh, where they were also uh, putting on uh, some kind of I think it's uh, some kind of device on your head to see what happens when you, for example, watch, watch a commercial yeah. or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and it does give you some sense, but it's still, uh, the, the, the data isn't really concrete on that if it's no. always correct uh, at, yeah. at that time. Well, the thing with this functional, so that's probably EEG, there's some yeah, yeah. functional yeah. MRI in neuromarketing. Sure. But the thing is, there's so much noise and to really pick up a signal is very hard. Mm. And also, we don't really know what the signal exactly means. So there is, um, when when I was doing my PhD, the, the next hot thing was resting state fMRI. So usually you do a task and then you try to figure out what the brain activity during that task is. Um, compared to when you're not doing the task mm. to, to get the signal-to-noise ratio um, right. And then someone discovered that if you're just lying still in the MRI scanner and don't fall asleep, there are a lot of networks that you can find. If you use principal component analysis, you can look at, you know, temporal patterns and spatial patterns. And then you see, like, um, working memory network, you can see attentional networks, and they light up. Mm. So then everyone figured we have to study this in disease to see what's different. So then all these publications came out with, you know, Alzheimer's patients. We can see that this specific network and that specific region is different from um, healthy subjects. Yeah. But we have no idea what resting state fMRI or the signal that we see, what it means. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's where I was disappointed in science that it's very or easy, it's relatively easy to get money for um, research in disease. So, you know, in, in the Netherlands, we have the Dutch Cancer Foundation where you can yeah. get a lot of money. There's the Alzheimer's Foundation. You can get money to study disease. But to get money to study what resting state fMRI means, mm. that is very hard. And I think that this sort of fundamental research to understand what these new technologies can do yeah. and what it means for us that that should be more important yeah you you're kind of skipping a step there right because you're already going to look at the solution uh, for what is happening but you don't even know the actual cause that, that that's causing this for example this disease or whatever yeah and that that's i think uh well i think that not a lot uh, usually science does that correctly where it really looks at the basics and stuff like that but in this kind of field it's still uh, we don't know. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. We we still don't know. So we don't even 
uh, and it's weird to me that the, they don't do that first step, right? Yep. They look at the basics and then say, okay, from there we can go and see what is actually happening. Yep. But in, in technology, it's the same thing, right? If something doesn't work on the server, you're going to try and find out what the actual cause is, right? Yeah. And that's uh, that. That doesn't happen that often. For example, for a brain, it's <laughs> a little bit a little bit trickier yeah. to find that actual yeah. cause. But uh, what I what I would like to know is, um, so you have a lot of math involved in this, right? So yep. there's a lot of math in that. So what do you like about math? Before, because from my perspective, I really don't like math. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's not that I don't like it. It's more like. Uh, it's too much. I don't like working with the numbers, right? I like being okay. more creative in that sense. But mm -hmm. uh, what? And of course, you can cre be creative with numbers as well. But what? What? What do you like about math and stuff like that? Well, what I really like is that one plus one equals two. <laughs> yeah. But then you get into data science and you discover that one plus one equals what you make out of it. So it kind of depends on the data that you have and the noise that's in there, especially if you, you, you work with like human data, you know, um, people just typing in stuff or there's so much noise in there. Um, I have been looking at transactional data at Albert Heijn and you, you, it's very hard. People behave differently, and it's very hard to find very clear patterns in that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, on the one hand, I really like the the um, the exactness of of mathematics, um, and in in data science, I like that you can um, be creative to find the solution so that one plus one equals two, so that you can get to the mathematical truth. Mm. Yeah, that that's crazy because that um, a lot of people don't don't know that uh, you. It's it's not that you manipulate data, right? So you're no. doing different calculations over it. It's yeah. basically that. So yep. you're not doing one plus one equals two. You're pretty much doing one uh, divided by one or something like that. Mm -hmm. you're, do, you're doing it differently. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, we we call it manipulation, yeah. but manipulation also has like this sort of negative yeah, exactly. uh, sound to it. And yeah. that's not what we do. We try to find the truth. And that's what I like more about business. We really want to find the truth because a lot of um, processes and money is depending on it. Whereas mm. in academics, you look to kind of, um, a lot of people are not going to like me saying this, but you're trying to find what you have hypothesized. Yeah, exactly. And I think in business, at least in my experience, it's more about real truth finding. So yeah. you you try to find the data you need um, to 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 show what's actually happening. Yeah, because you're going to base some decisions on that, yeah. right? You're going to base business decisions on that. And also what happens a lot is that a lot of people want to quantify data to, uh, for example, uh, determine what to invest in, what, what's yep. the kind of the new technologies that we need to invest in. And you can't do that on a half kind of truth, right? You need to have the exact uh, reason why someone is doing this. And that's hard, yep. as you said. So um, what, what does a typical day look like to you? So say, for instance, you come in the office in the morning and mm -hmm. what, what's kind of the, the, the process that you go through to, to start? Well, it, it kind of varies. Um, I, I'm working on a, a larger project now, so we have a stand-up every day to see where everyone's at and what has to be, you know, if we have any difficulties getting to um, the end of our sprint. Mm -hmm. um, but like most of the time I'm coding I'm I'm just working in in R or in Python. Um, 
just modeling, like getting data from the sources, um, you know, feature engineering to get the, the, the variables in a way that we can input them in a model, um, that they are meaningful, and then there's the modeling of the algorithm. Um, so that's a, a very large part of my day. Mm. Um, there are meetings with um, business owners. So I'm doing a, a forecast at the moment, and there's one person who is the business owner, and we, okay. we talk a lot to make sure that the data I am using for the forecast is meaningful. Um, but I'm also uh, talking to an engineer to make sure that the data can be uh, used in a way that we can productionize um, the solution. Yeah. Um, so, so there's a lot of meetings as well, but mostly, <laughs> mostly coding. I try to minimize the meetings and make that most efficient. And but that's interesting because that's um, that's something that a lot of people don't realize when they are talking about data scientists and what they do. Because a lot of people are like, okay, so you're using some kind of tool, for example, Power BI or whatever. And just clicking together some dashboard and getting some data and doing some transformations over it and that's it and people are like okay that's cool so i want to go into that direction mm. until they actually uh, realize what the actual work is right yeah so you're coding a lot you're working with python and, and r which r is kind of a coding language as well so mm -hmm. um what what's interesting to me is how would you how would you describe uh, what a data scientist is actually? So how would you how would you describe that? That that's a very hard question <laughs> because there's so much going on in in the field of data, and there are so many job descriptions, so many job titles, and and everyone interprets it a bit different. Yeah. Um, if I look at myself, I don't really like the dashboarding part. I I used to use Power BI at my at, like at Albert Heim, we use Tableau, um, and I don't want to dive into that, so I try to stay away. In my previous job, I, I used Power BI now and then to um, kind of get a first feeling of what the data looked like. Mm. Uh, but but most of the time, I um, I get a question from the business. I try to figure out if it's something that will make sense um, to them, if it's really going to help their business. So there's some, some business consultancy in that. Mm. Um, but there's also a lot of trying to come up with a result that they can understand, that they can trust, um, and you know that we can really put into production so that's going to help them. Um, and then the biggest part is getting all the data together, um, cleaning the data, and writing the algorithm. Mm. And I think that like usually the algorithm part is, is very small. Um, mostly I work together with engineers a lot to, to get the data and, and clean the data. Yeah. So um, that, that's interesting as well, because when you look at, for example, Python and R, mm -hmm. I, I can imagine that there is a reason why you like that more over such a application like Tableau or, or uh, for example, Power BI. So what, what's your reason for uh, having a preference for the, for the other one? So for Python and R. Yeah, because you can see what's actually happening. Yeah. So that's um, during my studies, we used to use SPSS a lot. Yeah. And it was mostly the clicking part, not the syntax part. Mm. And you just click and you have no idea what's happening. Mm. Um, and I want to see what's going on. You know, I want to see how data is combined, um, what transformations are being done, or actually I want to do the transformations myself and not have the software do it for me. Yeah. Because steps can be done that I don't understand or I don't want to happen 
um, and and with code you you feel more in control. Yeah, and that, and that that's what um, happens a lot with uh, if I look at normal development in that sense, it it has a really strong connection to that uh, when you look at it uh, that way as well. Because, for example, if I'm doing something and I'm trying to create something. I don't want the program to do something that I didn't expect, right? Or yeah. uh, something that I don't see, something that's happening. Of course, there's always hap- something happening underwater, of course, uh, yeah. if, you're, if you can call it like that. But uh, it's you don't want to have the unexpected happen. Yeah. That, that's the thing. So, yeah. for example, you're putting on a transformation or you're doing something and it gives you something and then you look at what you get from python and r and you're like okay this yeah <laughs> this isn't yeah. even the same it's not even in the same ballpark right yeah uh, well that's with i i we spoke earlier yeah. and i was i told you about um an algorithm that i used with a, a clicky kind of uh, software solution yeah, yeah. and i got a, a, an answer and i didn't know how to interpret it and then it turned out i used categorical data and i could only use numeric and mm. apparently the software does some sort of transformation because it could could get to a solution yeah but it does I, show something yeah yeah but i couldn't figure out what the transformation was so i, I didn't mm. know what kind of steps it took in between so i couldn't interpret the the end results and that's why i don't want that i want to be in charge of the type of transformation so that i know that i can trust it so that i know how to interpret the end results yeah and that's that's something that uh yeah of course power bi and uh, that's the that's a tricky thing i think about creating such a solution as power bi as tableau and stuff like that because there's so many variables that that data can be whatever you think about right and then uh, you need to be able to say, okay, this is going to work this way. Because when you look at, for example, Excel, which is also some form, you, you could even use it as some kind of a database if you wanted to, right? Yep. Or just a data file in that sense. But that's easier, right? There, there's just, the, the data that you put in there will probably be, most of the time it will be the same, right? It has two axes and that's it, yep. right? And that, that's not the case when you just have a large data set where you're like, okay, I can just query whatever I want on it, right? Yeah. Well, I think you still Power have BI dimensions, and, of course. But. Yeah. Well, I think Power Power BI and Tableau have a lot of good features. Yeah. And and they can be very um, useful in business to to visualize or to show like higher management what's yeah. going on. Um, but it's also very dangerous because a lot of interpretation. Um, can be misused or like you you need experts to build the uh, the dashboards in a way that people yeah. understand and i think that um what you see is that ux is getting more important in this field um and and that's you know it, it's going to help make the results like better get across yeah. in a better way yeah yeah and it already helps that there are things like this right because yeah. previously you didn't even have that you had like r and stuff like that but i've tried to do anything in r and i'm like <laughs> i really don't understand what's yeah. happening here <laughs> even even the the easiest things right and all right it, yeah and it's it, i'm not a developer by trade so that's that maybe that's the the, the problem yeah. here but um but usually i can get something from it and now i'm like okay this is really this is really a job, right? This is really yeah. someone that needs to be an expert in these kinds of things because you're doing calculations, you're doing all kinds yep. of things. You need to know what what's actually what those calculations are saying, right? yep. and this algorithm or whatever you try to to put on it. Yeah. So w- when you look at these kinds of things, what are some of the things that you can, for example, get out of data that usually people wouldn't see, right? 
I think it's the more complex relations. Like we humans, we maybe can interpret like a two-dimensional, maybe three-dimensional relationship. And after that, we're lost. Mm. We have no idea what's happening. So if it's like more complex and more different features, um, then, then, yeah, then data is going to be really helpful and also like very large quantities you know if you have like a million rows of transaction data like no human's going to be able to make sense out of that it's going to be years before you've scored all of that yeah yeah i can i can imagine because um i well sometimes it's even hard to do it on 50 rows (laughs) let alone alone on one million yeah um so and also, are, are there some things that have surprised you? So when you're like looking at data and you're uh, looking at it and you're like, okay, this is weird. This is not something that I expect. Are there yeah. some things? Well, usually it, it was my mistake. Because <laughs> usually the data confirms what you know from the business. Yeah. Um, and if it's something really weird, I get very suspicious. And I try to invite a lot of different experts to talk it through and see if they understand what's happening there. So I remember um, a project that I did with a client and um, it had something to do with weather data and accidents. And I found a relationship and I just couldn't make sense. It was like, if it snows more, then it's safer on the roads. That was kind of the conclusion. That's and I weird. corrected, <laughs> yeah, I corrected for like the, the amount of traffic and a lot of different factors. And, and then there was an expert and he said, well, yeah, that makes sense because there was something, some technical thing that they did and that explained the entire relationship. Ah. So, so usually it just, the data confirms our suspicions or, or what we know. Yeah, so the data doesn't lie in that in that sense. It's it, it, it does make sense because when what you put in it, you will probably get out of it yeah. as well. So yeah. when you put in, for example, some kind of uh, algorithm or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you wouldn't expect that algorithm to throw something else than what you actually yeah. meant for the algorithm to do. Yeah, and I think that's also one of the dangers in data science. You know, mm. you, you get what you put in and, and like our prior beliefs um, are very important in how we build an algorithm. So you yeah. can, there was an example from Amazon. Um, they did a resume selection for IT jobs. Mm. And in the past, not that many women got into the IT jobs. So the model just rejected all the women because they weren't very successful in the past. And that those are things that you really have to think of. Those kind of biases, you know, usually unconscious biases are very important in, yeah. in building these, these algorithms. And, yeah. and you really have to think them through. But also, if you put an algorithm in production, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you have a product recommendation, people are going to buy those products more. Um, and it can also, like, if you buy a blue dress somewhere online mm. and you get only get blue dresses recommended after that, you're going to annoy a customer. So <laughs> I've been talking to Ilko. He was, he was on your podcast yeah. earlier. Yeah. And we were kind of um, thinking about, you know, can you throw in some sort of wild cards or how can you make this more um, original? Yeah. You know, you, you kind of want the recommendations to uh, adhere to the customers, but you also want to surprise them and, and, and recommend something that, that does fit in 
um, but is not exactly the same as all the other things. So those are interesting discussions to have. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm I'm thinking about two cases that uh, that come to mind when, for example, on Amazon, <laughs> because when I'm looking for, for example, I'm looking for a USB cable or something like that. Uh, all the other suggestions are just USB cables, right? And I'm like, yeah, uh, okay, maybe some suggestions would be something else, right? Something that has to do with a USB cable, but it's not. Yeah. A USB cable, that's it. Because uh, I'm not going to buy three USB cables. I'm just going to buy one. Yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> uh, but also, the the other uh, example, I, I listened to a podcast uh, a while ago about Twitter. So where they have huge amounts of data and it's mm-hmm. all in text, right? So uh, and there were, was also a discussion about biases in that sense as well. Like, okay, you're putting all these kinds of rules in place, but are those rules fair to everyone that's r- trying to use the platform, right? Yep. And they're doing algorithms on that. For example, uh, if someone says this and this, then it's probably not good and we'll block that person or we'll remove the tweet or whatever. And um, that's interesting to me because that means that however way you slice it, you will always get some kind of bias in the in how yep. they uh, create the algorithms. Uh, and that's on a very very large scale uh, yeah and it's even harder because it's just text right yeah. and uh, we uh, we have trouble understanding text or at least interpreting interpreting it in a kind of um in a machine learning fashion if you can call Definitely, it like that. yeah i heard of some people trying to um detect sarcasm oh in text. yeah yeah that's why it's so challenging. It must be so challenging. Yeah, yeah. but it's very interesting. Yeah, uh, if, if, but also things like um, I was trying th- that with um, with text analysis with, for example, Amazon Comprehend, which also mm-hmm. gives you that service. Uh, and I was trying with different kinds of things. So they don't support Dutch, so I had to translate Dutch to English and then <laughs> walk it through uh, Comprehend. Uh, and I did like uh, the service was not bad, right? And it did say uh, that it's a positive, right? Or a neutral, something like that. Oh, okay. So it does kind of pick up those nuances, right? Mm-hmm. Because not bad, people would say, okay, we'll pick bad because that's kind of a key phrase and then it's probably yep. negative. Or uh, there was a review that we tried and it said, okay, uh, the company was great, but uh, the car that I bought uh, broke down after two, uh, if after 60 miles or something like mm-hmm. that. Something like that. And, it was really interesting to see that it actually said mixed. So it actually said, okay, this first part is probably positive and the next one is oh, wow. probably negative. So yep. it's, it saw that it's, it's a mixed reaction. And that's, uh, I mean, the, the text analysis field is, is still coming up, of course, but uh, people are getting really good at it because I didn't yeah. expect that. No, especially uh, if you can translate it to English. Then. Yeah, that, that was also one thing. I was like, okay, what happens if I... Uh, make a typo in this yeah because it can happen for example we get a review or something like someone puts in a typo and it's still got what i wanted to do to oh do. wow so it, it's it's getting better but they have Im- enormous amounts of data sets to yeah. try that machine learning on and so, that's the thing i think that in data science you can see that specific parts of data science such as text analysis or computer vision yeah that's more um um more brought on as a service by like Microsoft or Amazon or Google yeah. because they have the enormous amounts of data to really do this properly. The, yeah. the data and, and the people. And you need a lot of specialists to, to do that and to build 
those kind of algorithms yourself, that is probably not worth the effort. No, and that, that's that's why a lot of uh, companies are using them, right? I mean, it makes total sense. Yeah. For example, if you have a million reviews, let's say you have a million reviews, that's still not enough to train a good data set. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that that's the thing. Uh, it's uh, they have billions and billions of yeah. uh, of these kind of things. So they every time I push something to that API, probably they are going to use that to get yeah. their their machine learning or their model better in that sense. Yeah. Well, uh, and these are like text is, is rather generic. You know, there yeah. may be specific branches. So if you look at like um, uh, hospital or like medical information, that, that might be a bit more specific, but yeah. it's usually very general. And I think if you look at like the models that are built for someone's core business, then you want to develop it yourself and you want to be in total control. You want to understand yeah. what's being done. But then in computer vision and text, it might be just easier to adopt something that works very well. Because it's basically always the same thing. Yeah. It's not It's not data that, well, of course, you can have different languages, but it, it, in most cases, it's the same data, right? It's, yeah. it's just text, it's words, it's uh, sentences. So uh, when... Uh, when you look at data science, so, so say for example, I have someone that uh, wants to start in data science and wants to <laughs> wants to go in that direction. Mm -hmm. uh, what uh, what kind of what kind of advice would you give them to start with? So, what would they have to be into? What do they have to start learning or whatever? I think data science is kind of you. You need to focus on the business, you know. But that's in pretty much everything. I think that that in in pretty much every function in in business, you need to know what's going on, where you can get add value. Yeah. Specifically for data science, it's the math part, math and statistics. You need to know the basics on that. Like you know, get back to algebra and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, probabilities, um, and also the coding part. Because, yeah, the coding part is what I'm working on most of the time. Mm. Um, yeah, so if you know those two, and, and now I'm, I'm also, I'm, I don't have a computer background, computer science background, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get more into that as well to better understand that. I'm, I'm working on Spark now through Databricks, so, you know, there's a nice layer on that, but, but I'm trying to understand what's actually happening there um, because it's also important if you work with, with these really big data sets, it's important to understand what the computer does with them and to be able to optimize your code um, so that, you know, the algorithms run in a timely fashion. Yeah, so how, how was that transition like for you to go from, uh, well, uh, an education that do doesn't go into that computer science part, uh, mm -hmm. but to actually going into a role that has that so much, that's actually revolved around everything surrounding computer science. How, how was that yep. transition like for you? Um, it, it's very interesting and I've been working together with a lot of people who have that background yeah. and try to learn as much from them as possible. Um, a lot of YouTube videos <laughs> on object-oriented programming and that kind of stuff. Um, well, so YouTube podcasts, um, a lot of online courses. So, mm. yeah, but it, it is it is a challenge to, yeah. to understand that more and to find the time to, to also study that. Like, that's the thing with data science. It's so broad. There's so much you have to know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the same with, the, for example, developers that are starting off yeah. as well. Uh, I mean, uh, if you want to start developing uh, well the thing is what i what i'm thinking about is that uh what i've noticed myself uh, in learning these kinds of new things is that usually 
I really get good at something, or at least I I, I think I get good at something, <laughs> uh, but by by just having the cases, right? By having yeah. the cases that you want to do. So say for instance, uh, someone says, okay, I want to know why this and this is happening. For example, in your case, someone is asking you that. Yeah. Uh, you uh, look at that and will say, okay, then I need to get this and this and this information, and uh, in in this way, I could probably combine it, and that's. I think that's the the only way to really learn these kinds of things really good is to actually have the practice to do these kinds of things. Yeah, because just taking the courses or just listening to someone explain it to you, you don't really grasp it. So it it gives you some sort of starting point, but then to really learn it, you just have to work on projects. Yeah, and education needs to change in that sense as well. Uh, Yeah, I've I've talked to that uh, about that uh, on a podcast. Not yeah. my podcast, but I another just, podcast. Oh, I just listened to one with where you were talking about the the apps that were being oh, developed. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, in yeah, education. yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. And uh, another one that I w- was doing was also r- surrounding a bit about uh, other uh, types of education and stuff like that. Mm. And the question was more like, okay, do you feel that it's up to par with what it has to do in the in these in the future? And I'm, I'm like, I. I feel like there is too little focus on the actual practical part, right? Actually going into a business, seeing what's happening there and helping out with a project there, right? Because that's the way I learned all the things that I learned about servers and stuff like that. I, I, I didn't learn it by just going to school because pretty much school didn't learn me any of that, yep. uh, of that, of those kind of skills that I needed later on. Yeah. Uh, and I think especially in university, like I did a, a research study. So yeah. everything was focused on getting your PhD and getting you to this <laughs> professor position, but there are only very limited spaces. So I think yeah. like, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think like 5% of the people who get a PhD actually become a professor. And the entire education is like devoted to getting you into that position, which is really weird because 95% of the students is not going to get there. Yeah. Um, so, and they switch it to totally different things. Yeah. 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 I had someone, uh, uh, an old colleague of mine, who was, uh, he had like a major in art or something like that, and he became an engineer. So oh, wow. <laughs> it, it really, it can really go all kinds of ways in that sense. Yeah. But, uh, so uh, getting back to, to this kind of data science and stuff like that, how do you see that evolving in the future? So how do you see it changing in the near future? Yeah. Um, well, I think data science is becoming more mainstream. Um, I see that the larger companies are really investing in data scientists and, and in building solutions. The smaller companies, I don't think they kind of trust it enough yet and they don't have the money to hire a data scientist to do yeah. it for them. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah. for them, like, it's good to see that these services are being provided by the, the bigger companies so they can also use it. So I think that that's a, an interesting development. Um, there's a lot going on on AI and singularity and is that our future? And I think that that is still quite far away. Some people may call me naive, but if I look at the solutions that are being built now and if I look at how advanced we can get using those, I feel that AI is is not... It's a hype. (laughs) It is, it is. And, And what you can see is that a lot of people say they do AI and it's basically a lot of complex business rules yeah machine Um, learning pretty much yeah the same yeah Yeah. and i think like the machine learning part that is like it's been around for a very long time and we're getting better at it and more people are getting into the field and companies are investing in it more so i see that that is developing but but even then 
there are a couple of companies that are way ahead and then the rest is really lagging behind. Yeah, um, and sure. it's interesting to see if they can catch up yeah. or if it's just going to be like these very big companies that are going to rule the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think you're right on that because uh, when, I, when I look at it, I had the, there was a podcast with uh, Joe Rogan, uh, which he had uh, Naval on the podcast. When, uh, he's an investor and stuff like that. But he was talking a little bit about this AI stuff as well. And uh, funnily, funny enough, he was talking about the human brain as well because mm-hmm. he was like, okay, we don't even know how the human brain works, let alone create an artificial kind of brain, right? Yeah. That's that that made total sense to me, right? Yeah. Because if you're going to create something that's going to create thoughts of its own, then you really need to know how thoughts are created at all, right? Yeah. And that's yeah. that's something that uh, a lot of people think, okay, AI. Well, as I said, mostly you see the the applications you see are uh, recommendation engines and stuff like yeah. that. And you're like, okay, yep. yeah, but that's not that's not what you, what you're trying to get to here. Yeah. Uh, but you know we are also seeing a lot of like the autonomous vehicles yeah um i've seen some at one of the distribution centers at Heijn, and it was pretty cool to see them driving around yeah. um we you have the delivery robot as well right yeah but it's in eindhoven yeah, so yeah. it's like this one small cart for sure that but it is very cool to see that and i think that's going to change our, our future you know if we have the autonomous vehicles yeah but it, that that's what I love about data science is that there are so many like the psychology, the ethical part, the legal part. There's it's so complex and so much comes together that it's going to be very interesting to see um, how that uh, takes off. And if you look at some companies where maybe the ethical considerations are a bit different <laughs> from what we have here, it's it's going to be very interesting to see if. How that's, know, going to yeah, how that's going to evolve. Yeah, how that's going to evolve in those countries. Yeah, and, uh, th- that was also something that came on the on the podcast as well. Uh, it it was more of a discussion like, okay, stay for instance, everybody was an engineer, right? Everybody mm-hmm. was into code, and uh, he was like, okay, then we would probably have solved almost anything that you can think of, right? Like these things, like delivery robots, like everything like that, and. Uh, we would only focus ourselves on the creative things because that's what we humans are good at, right? The creative part. Uh, and he was like, yeah, for example, they were like, okay, are they going to be coders in the future, right? Uh, yeah. And he was like, don't fool yourself. <laughs> There's not going to be someone that's going to create something that's going to write code for you. That's not. That, that's pretty much recreating our brain again. So yeah. that, that, that was, it was such a fascinating podcast in that sense because it, it goes into these kind of things where uh, they're talking about okay, is this actually a reality, right? And, yeah. and most of it, it boils down to just being a hype at all. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like real creativity. Like there are people who say, well, you have the. I don't know if you've seen the next Rembrandt project. No. But it's still like they they studied all these paintings. They looked at different layers, and then they made a new one based on the pattern evolving from all the the okay. previous Rembrandts. Yeah. Which is interesting, but it's just. Um, you know, taking all the previous ones together and then creating a new one that is very similar. And, and mm. it's, you know, is, is it truly creative? And yeah. then with music, they say, you know, you teach a, a robot a lot of music and then they will come up with something themselves. But I'm I'm mm. kind of curious how, how original it actually is. Yeah, they, they were talking about the, the example where, uh, where AI, if you can call it like that, quote unquote, but was beating uh, people at games, right? Mm-hmm. So at uh, Go and uh, some, I think it was like StarCraft and uh, some games yep. at least. 
And he was like, yeah, but still, all those things are confined, right? There is a, it's not totally open in that sense. It, yeah. it, it's all, it all has rules. It all, it, it's all man-made rules even. So yeah. it's, it, it, it was like, okay, you're not really getting to the creativity part then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it, well, and also like yeah. they can only do that. Yeah. Like, so exactly. AlphaGo can, can play Go. Yeah. But it's the more generalized intelligence that humans have that we've not been able to mimic that. Yeah, for sure. So to wrap up, mm. I have a last question. <laughs> okay. So, um, uh, you had this whole journey into data science. So, what what uh, what are you most proud of since you started this uh, this this kind of path that you're on? Um, hardest hardest question yeah, ever. Yeah, it is the <laughs> hardest question. Well, you know, I I um, I've been working in this field for so like since the end of my PhD or where I didn't work on my PhD full time anymore. That's only been four years. And looking at where I'm at now and and all the knowledge I've gained, so I I had a pretty solid statistical background but now also being able to program all these different things and also knowing so much more about IT and how computers work being able to work on Spark um, that's something I'm, I'm proud of that I got to wrap my head around that yeah. and, and you know come from this academic academic um, environment where you have all the time to really dive into this one very narrow topic and now being able to, to help the business with all these different questions and just building solutions that are actually going to have effects that, yeah. that feels very good yeah it's pretty quick if i can say so because yeah. four years is is not a lot of time where no. you where you look at what you're actually doing mm -hmm. so um but very cool thank yeah. you uh sort of for uh, for being here it was a pleasure to uh, to talk to you thanks so, for having me uh and for the listeners of course you can find the bits versus byte podcast on uh, bitsvsbyte.com and all major podcasting platforms and of course twitter instagram and linkedin uh, you can find it as Bits vs Bytes. And uh, I have a newsletter that's going every two weeks on uh, on Friday with uh, five topics within uh, business leadership and technology. You can find it on bitsvsbytes.com slash newsletter. And I'd like to thank you for listening and until next time. <laughs>